What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Home Theater. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the streaming demon himself, Jacob. Hello, everybody. We got our fearless leader, Kiona. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. And uh, making his return, we got Hayden. Greetings and salutations. So, because we're in the thick of award season, uh, this batch of films is um, among the more uh, critically acclaimed of, uh, you know, the whole, like, the past couple months. We have reviews for News of the World, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Sound of Metal, Judas and the Black Messiah, and, of course, Nomadland. Uh, we'll begin with one of the films that I missed, unfortunately, News of the World. Okay, so News of the World is a film directed by Paul Greengrass, who has directed um, several of the Bourne movies, as well as United 93, Bloody Sunday, and Captain Phillips was also stars the star of this film, um, Tom Hanks, and which in both movies he plays a captain who tries to assure us that he is, in fact, the captain. So um, so in this film, uh, it takes place in the 1870s South, and Tom Hanks plays Jefferson Kyle Kidd, a Civil War veteran who has a job bringing newspapers to um, town to town to the illiterate citizens. And he comes across a German immigrant girl named Joanna, who was um, taken by a Native American tribe that was later killed, including her mother, parents and her sister. And so um, Tom Hanks takes her in and he plans to take her across the state to reunite her with her aunt and uncle, which are her only relatives left. And along the way, they sort of um, form a father-daughter bond. Um, I actually saw this movie in the theater, believe it or not. Um, and, you know, it was really nice seeing a movie like this on the big screen because it is a gorgeous movie. Absolutely stunning to look at. Wouldn't you agree, Kiona? Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. Uh, that was one of the things that struck me about it was the cinematography and just how beautiful the movie looked. Yeah. Oh, News of the World. It is a very um, cinematic film. It's It really pulls you in into its environment. It, um, it is a very genuinely good um, prestige Oscar film. Um, both Tom Hanks and Helena Zengo, who plays um, Joanna, they have a really good dynamic between the two. It's, you know, it's Tom Hanks basically flexing his um, dad skills. Nice. It's, it's, um, the only thing is it doesn't, it didn't really um, stick with me when it was over as much as it probably wanted to. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's a cold, it, it is a slow movie. I will say this. It is a slow burn, very slow burn type of movie. It's all about, it really confronts themes about responsibility and fatherhood in a very mature artistic way. And, which means it's not as, you know, it doesn't, um, like, it's not a, not a crowd-pleasing film in the strictest sense, is what I would say about it. Um, it is worthwhile. 
Um, just again for the cinematography and the performances between Tom Hanks and Helga, Helga, Helena Zengel, like I mentioned. So, uh, Keanu, what do you think about it? I actually really liked it. For me, it was kind of the perfect palate cleanser after watching four very heavy dramas. This is kind of a heavy drama too, but it's also, it has that Western vibe to it. Like I'm, I'm surprised to see a movie like this exist in the, in this day and age where it's like, you know, kind of a post unforgiven world uh, where, you know, we, we don't have many just pure Westerns anymore. It seems like I just watched uh, let him go, which is kind of a, a little bit oh. of a modern sort of spin on a kind of Western motif. So that was interesting to see uh, before watching this movie. Um, and then coming into this one and just hearing the score by James Newton Howard, which was fantastic in my opinion. Um, and like, just seeing Tom Hanks perform like the, those scenes where he gets to actually read the news to people and it lives up to its name as being about the news of the world. It's um, he just, he's a consummate performer and I love that about it. Also an interesting little tidbit for, for those of you who are old like me and remember this movie called Turner and Hooch, which is getting a, 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 a series <laughs> reboot on CBS, you know, and, and Paramount plus and what have you. There's a little bit of a reunion here between Tom Hanks and his and his Turner and Hooch uh, co-star, Mayor Winningham. So that's an interesting little oh. tidbit. Really? Who would um, she play? She's in this as Jane, and I don't can't really recall offhand like where she is in the movie, but I did see her name in the credits, and I was just like, oh, that's cool. So when I go back and rewatch this, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually look for her. But it's to me, it's just it's fascinating to see this kind of film exist here and especially being directed by Paul Greengrass, because I was like, this is a well-directed film as I was watching it. I was surprised by like how how like well done the uh, the the action sequences were in this movie. Like, yeah, that's that's another thing um, when, you know, when uh, Tom Hanks, when he's uh, defending her from these perverts that they yeah. come across in the yeah. in the town and they're hiding behind these rocks and. And she goes and she gets bird seed that they can use as bullets and the gun. Yeah, yeah. It's a tense scene it's, too when they're hiding out and um. They're out of bullets and they're desperate, so they're just like throwing yeah. bird seed in in the in the shells, you know, in the shotgun shells, just to yeah. have something to shoot at the guys. Mm -hmm. And it was just, yeah, what a what an intense moment that was. And that was the moment that I saw on like one of the talk shows, I think one of the late night shows that made me want to watch this film. So yeah, it's uh, it's a good movie. I would recommend it myself. I would say definitely watch it. It's one of those that kind of snuck in under the radar for me anyway. Like I, I didn't expect this to be as, as good as it was. So yeah, like I said, good cinematography, good direction, Excellent performances on behalf on on the part of Tom Hanks and and Helena Zengel, like you said, she's she's very good in the film. Yes, yeah. any actor charge. who can upstage Tom Hanks uh, <laughs> definitely is worthy of an Oscar nod. Now you, and, you you compare this to Unforgiven, so I imagine like these two would make a great double feature. Well, I mean, it's just interesting because like Unforgiven was kind of like the last word on westerns, you know. Uh, until like un until you have things that are more genre blending like like Serenity or like Logan or well there was um, also there was also True Grit um that, that Grit, was more of a that, that was more yeah. of a straight western actually oh yeah you're right you're right yeah so that yeah also, you had, you had re remakes like True Grit uh, Three Ten mm -hmm. Yuma yeah uh, Magnus Seven they also kind of had that was kind of an interesting father and daughter like type of relationship with Jeff Bridges and Haley Steinfeld. 
Oh yeah, that's true, man. Yeah, that's that would actually be a good double feature, I think. If you watch like the True Grit remake and you watch this back to back, that would be very very cool. Also, I got severe, like a severe case of Last of Us vibes out of this movie. I really did because I was like, I was like, man, this is like Last of Us if it were a western or like Red Dead Redemption Two. Like, there's some there's some definite, you know, some somebody's played those games. I think after watching this movie, but like, yeah. I, I I gotta say kudos to everybody involved. I really like this one. This was this might have been my my most purely entertaining film of the bunch. All right. Uh for, for me personally. I'll maybe I'll have to watch it again, honestly. Um but uh Mike, oh, cool. um yeah. Yeah. Mike, uh does that sound interesting to you? Oh hell yeah. I've um <laughs> pe- people who know me know that I have a big um like I have a big affinity for for westerns. I, I haven't seen as as like as many um recently just mm-hmm. because i've been busy in other spaces but everything i've heard about news of the world just sounds like it's right up my alley what about you hayden does this sound like something you'd be interested in uh yeah i'm actually um planning on watching it um tomorrow um so this like really did give me like a nice um little preview of what to expect and i'm very interested in uh seeing it well you know I'll, I'll say this much too it's it's like it's a movie that i paid 20 bucks to rent and i'll probably pick it up when it comes out for sale for for purchase if that's not a seal of approval then i don't know what is <laughs> um, any any final thoughts before we move on to the next one news of the world it's a gorgeous film absolutely um though know, uh whether this is a, an emotionally resonant movie your mileage will probably vary Mm, yeah uh that yeah i mean I've, I've said my piece on it i think it's it's a it's a good movie it's well worth seeing so check it out awesome and it's available on premium vod right now it'll probably go on sale maybe within maybe the next few weeks yeah it sounds about right it's still also playing in theaters too i should also mention um oh true yes yeah it's it was at my local theater. It was playing there for quite a while there was a lot of um elderly people there actually as well um well not it is a western and tom hanks is in it so you know <laughs> that's pretty inevitable actually all right so um we move on to the next film um aaron sorkin's second uh directorial effort the trial of the chicago seven hayden you want to take this one the trial of the chicago seven is the new aaron sorkin film both written and directed by him it follows Um, The real life uh, story of the Chicago Seven, who were a group of anti-Vietnam War protesters um, charged with conspiracy, crossing state lines with the intention of inciting riots at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. It is on Netflix. Originally, it was going to be uh, released in theaters by Paramount, we should also mention, before uh, they just gave it over to Netflix. It was mm. such, it was really fast. It, it must be so fascinating for that to kind of a thing to happen. I was very, that like took me kind of off guard when I saw the credits. This isn't the first time that Paramount and Netflix have, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, shared uh, distribution for certain titles. And it goes, yeah, this has been going on since like Cloverfield 3 back in what, January 2017? <laughs> Even even before that, I I remember uh, the Little Prince was supposed to be a Paramount. Oh release. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So they have a very good, in fact, just Viet, Viacom and CBS in general, actually, because they also given some ne- uh, Nickelodeon titles on there, like um, like Invader Zim and Rocco's Modern Life and even the upcoming Loud House movie. It almost makes me question why they need to have their own streaming service when they can just, I know they can just set up like a multi-picture deal with Netflix. Yeah. Get that money. Uh, so this is one of the other that titles that money. I unfortunately did not see, um, but I don't know. I'm I'm on the I'm on the fence with what with whether or not I would enjoy this. I know I was a big fan of his of Sorkin's first uh, directorial effort, um, Molly's Game, and not just because I'm a big Jessica Chastain fan. I I just think mm-hmm. there was something about the material that that really worked for him. How, how um, for starters, how, how would you compare this to Molly's Game? I haven't seen it. I also have not seen Molly's Game. Yeah, I'm one of those people where I just, I missed out on that movie completely. And I've always meant to go and watch it. And I just never like seem to find the time to watch it. But yeah, sorry, you would Mike. think that I would. <laughs> That's fair. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sorry. But um, you know what, though? I will say that uh, for this movie Aaron Sorkin did a really fantastic job directing it and also his writing kept things snappy and sharp and I felt that like the cast in this movie was just excellent I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some props because he probably won't get any I'm gonna give some props to Frank Langella for playing that corrupt oh my asshole judge god I was yelling at the screen (laughs) because dude that guy like let me tell you Frank Langella first of all best Skeletor ever (laughs) <laughs> secondly, secondly, like this guy, like he comes in this movie and I'm like expecting him to be like this total hard ass guy. And he turns out to be like the most corrupt, like the most like weirdly off individual in this whole entire movie. Like he's just he's he's so like super corrupt and racist and like just everything that you wouldn't want in a judge. Yeah. And clearly anybody who has any legal acumen could have seen that. But like Frank Langella just played the hell out of it. And it's it's a brilliant performance on his part because I just hated his guts. And let me tell you, to me, me hate Frank Langella is is, is that's an accomplishment because yeah. I love that guy so much. But yeah, he's uh what an actor, what a performance. And, you know, he's going to get no credit for it because he's such a bad guy in this movie. Like he's obviously the bad guy. But like, yeah, it's uh, it's the cast is excellent just uniformly excellent, including Sasha Baron Cohen. Borat himself is in this movie and he Mm -hmm. just nails it completely. I do want to say, I think uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was fantastic, but someone Mm -hmm. I don't see getting as much credit. I thought Jeremy Strong was great too. Jeremy Strong was- I thought he like really like held his own um, uh, against Cohen. So- Yes. So um, just uh, bring that out there. Jeremy Strong overlooked in my opinion. Yes. Who else is overlooked in this movie? Let's let's go down the list. How about Eddie Redmayne? Oh, the he's most, great. The most scaringly good American accent from someone <laughs> as British as he is. <laughs> how to... about how how about the actor who played Bobby Seal? Uh, I'm so Ooh, scared yeah. that I'm gonna mispronounce his name, but um, I know he played like wasn't he uh wasn't he Manta in uh in Aquaman? Yep. Um, yeah, the actor's Manta, name is right? um Yaya Abdul Mateen the second. Yes, yes. Yeah, also oh, um, on Watchmen. Yes. Um, also overlooked are also um, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Richard Schultz, the assistant federal prosecutor. 
Yeah, excellent performance on his part. Yes. Uh, Mark Rylance, he is he is oh. their um the protesters uh, attorney, um uh, William Kunstler. Yeah. I I have to say I love Mark Rylance as an actor. Me too. Um and um it's always like a pleasure for me to see him. Um whether on stage or on screen, he's always so he always gives it his yeah, best. Very likable. To tell you the truth, I, I love the entire cast in this movie. Like that was the thing that really kept me watching this movie, other than the the direction and the writing, because it was just so fascinating to see all these all these great actors just like you know play off of each other. And the you know it's yeah really really good in that regard. Um, John Carroll Lynch, who's another guy who's one of those character actors that you always see but you never really know his name. Uh, he was David Dellinger. Yeah, uh, um, the bald he, one. Yeah. Yeah, he's I he's um also I love him on American Horror Story whenever he's yes. on that. Yeah. Um, he's uh Twisty the Clown for one on that show. He he uh, had that moment in this movie where where he like he's like don't touch my arm, you know, and then he just full on like clocks the guy and it was just yeah. oh man, that's to his son's moment. disappointment. Much to his son's disappointment, but at the same time it's like, you know, that dude deserved it. And and his reaction to it is like I hit him. <laughs> it was just uh yeah what a what a movie and of course of course the batman himself michael keaton mm, great cameo mm-hmm. um, yes he plays uh he, he plays ramsey who was the uh u.s attorney general at the time the prior u.s attorney general yeah the one that uh apparently they they all didn't like like all the justice department guys didn't like him because he was like he did not uh he resigned like an hour before they came in. So he held his office as long as he could. Just yeah. To piss them off. Um, if I'm going to be critical of aspects is that there, they take some, let's say historical liberties. Oh, they, not they take a lot of those. Yeah. Not especially surprised. the end. Like there, I, but I, but it is a crowd pleasing movie. And in that regard, I really enjoyed it, but also just maybe look up like, more details of what actually happened don't take this as like a history lesson yeah i i always say with movies that are based on true events or based on historical events never to take it at face value because you never know what they change take everything with a grain of salt yeah but as a film as a movie i wish tyler were here to discuss this because i think he would have a lot to say oh yeah he would have talked our ears off but like yeah i think that as a film though it is a very like it's it's a good movie and a good like you know use these films i think as a jumping off point and then like hopefully it inspires you to look up the true story and really what happened to these individuals and that sort of thing um yeah we should also mention the editing of this movie which was one aspect of this movie that I actually really liked. Um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about this movie personally, but the editing was what pulled me in personally. Like how it just constantly cuts to flashbacks of the riots and the courtroom, mm-hmm. and also like these bars that they go into um, when they meet across these uh, these people who kind of backstab them, essentially who seem like they're a part of their movements, like but then just kind of. Um, yeah, informants exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, the editing it did remind me of the Social Network in that respect. Um, it really did. Another yeah. criticism, yeah, another criticism I kind of have of this movie is that the scene where Bobby Seal is essentially bound up and tortured. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. By the the thing is, did this did that come across as a little white saviory to you guys? Like when guys basically they come to his defense at the end. 
Oh, I can see that. I'm not going to disagree. Because I, I have suppose. heard some people uh, voice that criticism as well. Um, also, speaking of which, we should also mention uh, Fred Hampton is a character in this movie. Yes. Yeah, one of that two. Who will come movies. into play later. Um, Fred Hampton, who is played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. Very interesting. So, yeah, I guess we have some twin films here. <laughs> this is like an Armageddon and Deep Impact sort of thing. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's like Volcano and Dante's Peak all over again. So anyway, um, yeah, Twilight Chicago 7, it's a good movie. It's a decent time. It's just not, it's just didn't really particularly stand out to me. Like, it, is this, what'd you say at least that this guy was, this movie was relevant? Of what, yes. Given like the certain riots have been going on last year. Uh, yeah, like like certain protests and things. Yeah, I would say that it was it definitely seemed like a timely topic for them to talk about. And yeah, like I said, I mean, for me, it was just mostly about the performances that I enjoyed. So, yeah, I would say it's worth watching just for that. Yeah. Don't take it as the gospel truth or anything. Just take it as it's right. it's an entertaining film. Aaron Sorkin, you know, once again, he, he does his thing and turns out pretty decent, I think. I'm sure I will see this eventually because... I am kind of a Sorkin completionist. Like um, earlier this year, I saw I saw Moneyball for the first time and and really enjoyed it. Yeah. So now I'm I'm trying to go back and fill and fill some of the gaps of uh, his filmography. And and I promise my promise to you, Mike, is that I will watch Molly's Game this week. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I will still get to it eventually. <laughs> I'm not going to make any blanket promises, but eventually. We all, we all fall short of the great almighty Sorkin. <laughs> all right. All right. So, what's up next? Uh, uh, next, I'll go ahead and take this one. So the next film on our list is Sound of Metal. This is directed by ooh. Darius Martyr and co-written by uh, Martyr and uh, Derek Cianfrance. So this movie stars Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. Um <laughs> Riz Ahmed plays um, the drummer of a heavy metal duo called Black Gammon, and the and the film and the film is his um, like like pretty much his his dealing with dealing dealing with his um, like deteriorating like deteriorating uh, um, hearing. hearing and you know going going through all the trials um, do, doing what he can to you know, adjust to his new life, but also trying desperately to get back the thing that he lost. Uh, before I throw it over to Kiona, one thing that I, that I have to say is I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen a more relatable protagonist like of, of the films that we watched um, in this bunch. I think Ru Ruben Stone might be the most relatable protagonist of the bunch because his, his struggle is at man. I I just feel for him. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Derek Cienfrance is that how you pronounce it? Cienfrance. Yep. Uh, he wrote and directed Blue Valentine. I did not know that. Yeah, he did uh, Blue Valentine, um, The Place Beyond the Pines, and um, A Light Between Oceans. Huh. Interesting. I really liked Blue Valentine. I thought that was a very good, very like hardcore human drama film but that was really good i i've always liked that movie um anyway yeah so sound of metal um first of all you know again i'm performance guy so so again i'm gonna say like like the performance by riz ahmed and olivia cook 
are just amazing. Um, also, I was like, when he went to the to the rehab place for for hard of hearing and, and deaf people, um, and he was learning sign language, and I saw an actress, and I was like, where have I seen this actress before? And it turned out that she was in, um, she's in The Walking Dead right now. Oh, um, Lauren Ridloff. Lauren yep. Ridloff, yeah. Who, the teacher. Who I yes. might mention is going to be in Marvel's Eternals, directed by none other than Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao. It's all connected, guys. It's all Everything connected. is connected in this episode. It's so weird. Anyway, yeah, Lauren Ridloff. She's great. Um, I I love her in The Walking Dead, and I love her in this. She's really good for all of like the the ten minutes of screen time she has in this movie. But she's very good in it. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about relatable, Mike? You and I are we we love our our metal here, you know. So especially yep. here at RPC. So like. So I, I'd be curious to hear Nick's thoughts on this movie too. But like, it's that opening sequence where you you can or um you see the kind of music that he plays, and then later on as the film progresses, you kind of you know you get that idea of like, oh crap, like this you know his his music playing days are behind him now, and that's just so tragic. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of the most. This movie for me was was a pure tragedy. It was so sad. And at the same time, there was that glimmer of hope because he does get, you know, um, if I may go into a little bit of spoilers here, which I will I will note this on the, you know, on the show notes. But like, um, I think that that moment where he goes and gets the surgery and then he gets the implant. And I was so hopeful at that time, like maybe he can go back to his old life, you know? Like, that's what I was thinking. He sells his... He sells his uh, his his RV, his van, his truck, and uses the money to just go back to see his girlfriend. And like, I I was so on the edge of my seat, just thinking maybe he could, you know, he could possibly go back to playing music in some way, or or like, you know, I mean, he still could, obviously, but like, you know, maybe he could return to his old life. I guess is what I was thinking. And so, um, they have that scene where it makes it clear that you know, he can't with, with the implant. It's, it's not the same. So it, yeah. it was just heartbreaking for me and I felt for him very much. Yeah. One, one thing I, one thing I noticed um, like throughout his arc is I like, I kind of picked up on if, if not, if not all five stages of grief, but like mm. at the, at the very least, when, once, once he first notices his hearing like um, fading, he's, he start he starts with denial. Yeah, exactly. Then, then it gets to gets to the anger, um, and then you know every everything about him selling selling his RV and selling um, all of Lou's equipment. That's that's sort of like the nego- like the negotiation bargaining, yep. yeah. And by the time we get to that fi- that final shot, again, spoilers for a movie that's like two months old. That's that's his acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, you see a little uh, bit of depression uh, between that when between that when he just when he tries to hear his girlfriend and her father mm-hmm. sing a song they wrote about her mother and he could barely hear a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's all muffled and stuff. Yeah, we should also the sound design in this I movie. I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah, just oh my god, the sound in this is just phenomenal. Like, uh, like it so perfectly encapsulates, um, you know. It betrays so well, like when you lose hearing, like how sounds, like how loud sounds sound, and and, and that that ringing in his ears uh, mm-hmm. when it like comes to him, it, it puts you in his perspective so well. Like this is such an empathetic 
look at people with disability and coming to grips with it. And actually, it, I love how like it brings him closer to these people around him. Um, because when I started this movie, I thought it was just going to be nothing but loud noises. You know, it was like him performing and whatnot, like and like going to all these surgeries and such. But it, it was a much more human look at this sort of thing than I expected it. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, it reminded me. There's this documentary on Netflix. It's called Notes on Blindness. It's about a theologian uh, um, who lost his eyesight, and it's about it's his audio journal cut to reenactments, like set to reenactments of you know his experiences of trying to connect with his family and such, and how the world sounds around him. This kind of this was kind of like that, but in reverse in a way. Mm-hmm. So that was what came to mind when I was watching it. It's a phenomenal movie. It actually might be my favorite so far of the Oscar hopefuls, at least according to Variety, what they think of the Oscar hopefuls. And I love this. Riz Ahmed absolutely knocks it out of the park. Um, There's another performance we need to talk about. Um, probably one of the best supporting uh, roles that that I've seen recently. Um, Paul, Paul Racy as... Uh, Joe, the yeah. the leader of of the um the rehab uh place. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, yes. he he felt like a real person actually, like someone we've all met before one time. He he kind of he kind of reminds me of um of my grandfather on my mom's side. Uh, like he just has that kind of like that that stoic but but also kind of warm uh, demeanor. Mm-hmm. Like like he he cares about pretty much everyone in that house but you know he's also like his his rules are pretty firmly established and you know if you if you break those rules then like then you you can't like you're just not welcome in his presence yeah like (laughs) like like, particularly in the end when um Riz Ahmed basically says you know I can't stay here anymore I need like doesn't he ask like he needs money for to buy back the RV and and, and such and then he just tells Paul Race he just tells him you know we don't see um deafness as a disability you know we don't see that around here and it pains me that you see it that way that you feel like you can't stay here so just pack your things and go man yeah yeah um Hayden uh what do you think about this movie I really lo- I really thought I love this movie this was a really really well done well acted film um again paul racy and riz ahmed are both great in it olivia cook i always love seeing her um so just a very effective well done film i don't really think i have any much i can add but yeah i really love this movie yeah excellent i think uh i yeah i think like you said the the sound design is excellent if anything they should get an academy award for the sound design absolutely Um, yes and uh, like the way that it lets us hear how the implant actually sounds and like that whole aspect of it, like I had no idea that implants like that even existed that could yeah, allow that, you to even that was, hear that much. Like when that, that was something new that, that I learned. Um, I know, I know like when, mo- when most people think of like, I guess like tr- like treatments or kind of like when, when most people think of the deaf community, they like, like they only they only usually think of like you know pe- people with the heat like with like the standard hearing aids but mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't know that you could um 
that you could get in, implants like that. Yeah. It's yeah. I took um, a class in college about disability in society. And we actually read a book about the cochlear implant. Um, and it was, and something that was really interesting was there is actually like a lot of discourse within the deaf, the, the there is a lot of discourse within the deaf community about the implant mm-hmm. because, uh, and the movie does actually a really good job at, at um, translating that into um, the story, I feel. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's something that I definitely want to, want to research more. And I just want to echo your, your, you guys' statements on Paul Racy and what a great character actor he is. Um, I'm looking at his, at the the movies and TV shows he's been in. He's been in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, one of my favorite movies. Mm. Uh, Eon Flux, the original cartoon, like the animated series, he was wow. in that. Uh, yeah, his his credits are kind of insane when to, when yeah. to, if you take a second to look at them. He was a Nightcrawler. Oh my God. Wow. This guy, yeah, he's a great Oh, no, sorry, no, 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 no. That was reason I'm I'm sorry. Paul Racy. I'm, I'm reading Paul Racy's filmography right now. He's, he, he's also got a couple additional voices in um, the HBO uh, uh, Spawn animated series. Oh, dude. Yeah. I'm just bringing up yeah. that the Golden Globes saw, saw Paul Racy and Jared Leto and decided to give it to the to Jared Leto. That <sighs> nomination to Jared Leto. Like, that just that just hurts. <sighs> Yeah. Oops. Well, it's it's the it's the globes. What like they they only get like two things right. I'm not I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. I'm just yeah. disappointed. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. They made mm. a boo boo. It's like that Malcolm in the Middle oh, gift. Um, I was expecting nothing. I was still let down. <laughs> and Paul Racy was in the Glimmer Man. For God's sake. All right. <laughs> okay. Sound of Metal. It's on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. Good yes. Um, so. Any any other any other final thoughts before we move on? Um, for for me, I I'd, I'd say that this is um, I had it at number ten on my 2020 list. But honestly, the more the more I think about it, like the like the more I think this might this might just be one one of my one of my favorite films. Like probably top top five of last year. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know, I just, I just, I just find a lot with um that like with the main character that that I can relate with, and you know the like the use of sound design in in this movie is what like one of the most impressive uses of sound design in any movie I've seen this decade. So if you want, if you want, if you want like a good a good demonstration of of like like the best way to to use sound in film, this. This is a good example of that. Yeah. Does Oscars please give this uh that Oscar and not Tenet? Because apparently, according to Variety, that may be a front runner. Which, like, just because, like, it's a testament that just because the movie is loudest doesn't mean that it justifies giving it the best sound Oscar. This uses sound in such an ingenious way that it just has to win. If no other award, so the they're combining the cate- the two sound categories this year, I believe. Yeah, they are. But so it's sound. that'll be that's going to um, be interesting, I think. Yeah, as 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 far as this movie's um, Oscar chances, it could either help or hurt 
having having both like editing and mixing kind of in the same category definitely all right we got two films left and these ones are these ones are pretty major the next one is judas and the black messiah this is a like a biological drama written directed and produced by shaka king and also produced by ryan coogler so this one is set in 1960 chicago and is basically the like um, the events that lead to spoilers for real life events. The betrayal and murder of Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, at the hands of an FBI informant, um, William O'Neill. Uh, we have uh, Daniel Kaluuya playing Fred Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield playing Bill O'Neill. Kiona, why don't you start with uh, with this one? Okay. Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> this uh, this film. First of all, I want to say it's a it's a revelation in terms of the director Shaka King. Uh, I will definitely be looking at any film that he does in the future because his direction in this movie he he just directed the hell out of it. Again, you know, I hate to do this because I'm always performance guy, but I'm gonna say Daniel Kaluuya. I, he blew me away in this movie. Yeah. I mean, even more so than in like Get Out and like, yeah, I mean, just what an incredible performance where he just brought the character and, and the the person to life. It's almost like watching a man who's possessed. It, it was just incredible. Uh, yeah. Lakeith Stanfield also was excellent. And you could see just how much it, it tore him to shreds internally, like what, what he had to do and the fact that he was being kind of forced into it. You know, I want to give a shout out to to Jesse Plemons mm, for yes. playing that the the uh, the FBI agent who just mm. completely is is like, oh, I, I you know, there's something inherently likable about Jesse Plemons. And in this role, he Ugh. just completely subverts that. Uh, and and also like Absolutely. Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just good casting. I, yeah, again, great casting and great performances and great direction just made the movie for me. On top of it being so significant in terms of the moment in history and like, you know, can can I read something from this Variety article that I just pulled up about like there's uh, it's it's the, the title of the article is Shaka King on how the Judas and the Black Messiah team earned the trust of the Black Panthers and Chairman Fred Hampton's family. And hmm. uh, at the end of the article, the, the final few paragraphs is is director Shaka King compares um, this particular scene to a gladiator type moment as Daniel Kaluuya's Hampton ascends the stairs into his version of the Coliseum. So this is like after he was jailed and then he gets out and he goes to a meeting of the Black Panthers chapter in Illinois. And they say, uh, so the director says, he just got out of prison. Literally, he was a panther in a cage, and now he's out. And he said, it's it's the scene where our background extras did just the most incredible work that they did throughout the process. It's the kind of thing you don't think about as being important, but you're talking about a scene where you're showing the might of your hero, and his power is the way his words affect people. So for them to feed off of Daniel Kaluuya the way they did in that moment, and for Daniel to feed off of them the way that he did, it made the entire experience real. After the first take... Kaluuya threw down the mic and walked out of the arena. He later told the director that he was so invested in the character that he barely knew what he was doing. And Shaka King says, it was the highlight of my career. Yeah, sounds that's like That's awesome. It. Yeah. To just um, be so present in that moment, that's incredible. 
I want to bring up some um, other performances that stood out to me. Um, yes, please do. Dominika Fishback um, was gave a really great performance. Oh, she was good. She was so good. Um, and someone who has who isn't even listed on uh, the Wikipedia casting list is um, um, I might be pronouncing this wrong, but Alicia Joy Powell as a uh, uh, Mrs. Winters who mm. has like one scene and like yeah. she manages to just run with the whole movie in my opinion. Oh yeah. Agreed. Uh, she had, and I, I thought it was, I think it's like a major discredit, like to just like kind of barely um, mention her because she was, she like, honestly, like kind of, I like sh- her scene when she was talking about her son was like mm-hmm. the one, like that, like really, that was one of the scenes that really stuck with me. And I, brilliant i feel like i would be i would be remiss if i didn't mention how great she was for 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 as many like big like powerful like powerful moments of ham of like hampton giving like these you know larger than life speeches there there's as many as of those moments as there are the quieter scenes like mm-hmm. like the one between um hampton and his um and deborah where yeah where she's she's reading she's reading the poem, which by the way, uh, Dominique Fishbach poem. Uh, either that, I think she might have written all of them actually that she read um, to Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, like mm. oh, like those like her um those are her original yeah. poems. Yeah, those Dominique Fishbach those she wrote them. Okay, yeah, that then then that just adds an extra layer to to that scene, which I think is probably mm. one of my favorites. So something I noticed about all three of the movies that I watched is I. I got really invested in, you know, the romantic subplots in all of them. And that was something I was not expecting. Um, also, um, this is a triple get out reunion mm-hmm. um, for Lakeith Sanfield. And uh, Lil, Ray um, How- um, Lil Ray Howery and, uh, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya. So, yeah, that's like, so I, that was like, that caught my eye, like in the opening credits. Oh, yeah that like the the cat the casting in this movie is just is just ridiculous yeah. um, and I, I agree martin martin sheen plays like a a pretty terrific yet despicable <laughs> edgar hoover yeah um he put a little bit of his elusive man from mass effect 2 into that role let me tell you just like a little bit of that dirt baggy you know spirit into that performance yeah. there so I thought it was uh, very good. One thing, one um, phrase I would use to describe this movie is I would call it refreshingly uncompromising. Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe this because like, as much as I loved one night, as, as much as I loved one night in Miami for having a nuanced mm-hmm. um, look on these larger life figures like Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, um, Muhammad Ali, and Malcolm X, um, it, it kind of that movie gave them like different perspectives you know it kind of um questioned their philosophies and whatnot this movie like it shows you just how much of a big of a threat the fbi was um at the time you know and in a way they they still are in a sense um you know this yeah this movie like i was generally scared of you know what the fbi was capable of like when they like when uh william O'Brien, like when he finds he hears that there was a Black Panther informant that was killed, that there was an FBI informant that was killed by other 
um, FBI's. No, 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 no. Let me start over. Um, it turns out he hears that um, an FBI format was informant was killed by Black Panthers. It turns out what he doesn't know is um, the FBI that did the killing was was an FBI informant that killed a regular uh, Black Panther. Actually, mm-hmm. killed. So that'll mm-hmm. show how much they infiltrated. Essentially, how they were just killing regular Black Panther members, you know, just to cut them down. And they were also distributing um, fake posters about um, it's sort of like their colleagues, like other Black Panther, like similar civil rights movements, you know, to sound like that they were um, bad mouthing them and such. Like there was this one group, um, um, the Crowns. Yeah, the Crowns. You know, so it just shows you just how much they've infiltrated this um civil rights movement in a time when they were just oppressing people left and right and it's just also your daniel kaluuya also he just oozes absolutely oozes charisma like even if you like me and you never saw any um footage of fred hampton you never heard his voice you can tell just from his speeches in this movie when he's describing how well there's power there's people there's people there's power and you know war is politics with bloodshed and politics is war without bloodshed like and when we see a sensitive side too with dominique fishbag you're just like okay there's a leader okay you could t- this is a guy who's starting a movement right here going you know, going back just, to what you said about been- about the real life footage one thing that's kind of cool about this movie is how it kind of um it kind of bookmarks it or it bookends itself with you know real footage from like from this time period um yeah and it's also kind of cool how they they begin the movie with with like a um a dramatized interview with uh lakeith stanfield as um as uh bill o'neill and then o'neill god i'm so bad with last names it's all right so the film starts with lakeith stanfield acting as o'neill and then in the credits, you see the real Bill O'Neill, and the resemblance is pretty uncanny. Yeah, I just want to say that the without giving too much away, um, how they did the uh, scene w- at the end uh, with the real footage, like that was chilling. Like just mm-hmm. like that moment, like I like it. Just the movie ended after that with the explanation of like what happened. Um, around that and it was it just sent chills down my spine it was like of such an effective way to do that i think and and like i, I thought that was just 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 brilliant oh um, yeah certainly um you know i would say the real villain of this movie i would say is selfishness in a way because william Neal, he he starts off um impersonating a cop and he's stealing other black men's cars basically and and when he's arrested, he's interrogated by Jesse Plemons, and he asks him, you know, why, uh, why not just have a gun? And he says, and O'Neill says, you know, a badge is scarier than a gun. So hmm. it, it's yeah. selfishness, and that itself, it's like he's basically he's doing under his record in a sense, like he's doing, and and he's bringing down this entire movement essentially, you know, just so he can get away scot free. And it's a very complex role. Uh, it's a very um, challenging role for Lakeith Stanfield as well. Um, 
you know, but it is encouraging when we find out at the end that um, um, the Black Panther movement did thrive um, even after about in the 70s, uh, led by uh, Fred Hampton's son and his wife. Um, when, um, is, is that even that act of betrayal can't stop a movement? And I just thought it was a very encouraging message. Um, yeah. With, yeah. With, a, with a movie like this and a filmmaker like Shaka King, like the, the, these movies don't necessarily exist in a vacuum. You can you can kind of feel you can you can feel like that raw anger and passion, you know, regard regarding, you know, event events that have been happening in the news, like pr- pretty much since the Black Lives Matter movement began, I'd say 7 years ago, cuz that's that's like around around the time that the idea for this movie was sort of kicking around at, at other studios. So that that this fight that this was finally released like this this year make make makes this one pretty timely. Yeah, it's an, I definitely yeah. agree. Yeah. Also, I I kind of have to say since since Blade doesn't have a director yet, I think <laughs> I think yeah. I think I think King should throw his uh his hat in the ring. Totally. I could see that. Yeah, definitely. Like he's like he ar- he already has a connection to uh, the MCU with uh, with Ryan Coogler. So yeah, that's true. So that's that's already one foot in the door. So yeah, um... yeah. So this one's on uh, HBO Max. If anybody wants to watch it, it's uh, streaming until March fourteenth. So definitely. it's also playing in theaters. If you feel yeah. like it's safe enough for you to go in there. Yep. Well worth supporting and well worth seeing. I think. Yeah. Agreed. Hayden, any final thoughts? No other final thoughts, but uh, go go watch it um, before it leaves HBO Max. Hopefully, but yeah, this was a this was a great one. All right, we come to the final film of this bunch, Nomadland. Hayden, why don't you take this one? So, Nomadland is a film directed, written, edited, and produced by Chloe Zhao, starring Frances McDormand, who is a woman who loses her job and ultimately everything and decides to um, travel around the American West um, and live her life essentially as a nomad. Um, It is currently on Hulu and take it from here. Good Lord, where where to even start? (laughs) So... I should point out that this is based on a 2017 nonfiction novel called um, Nomadland Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. And while I haven't, I, I, I haven't seen uh, the writer yet, one, one thing that's kind of neat about Chloe Zhao as a director is she's pretty much directing nonfiction, but, but as a, but as narrative, as opposed to like, doc, like, documentary filmmaking it's like yeah it's it's kind of like a like a hybrid of the two because while francis mcdermott and um david uh strathern yeah yeah, strathern yeah david strathern well well they're like the only two actors they're the the only two actors yeah um the right like the rest of the cast are pretty much pretty much playing themselves most notably a like a van dwelling YouTuber named Bob Wells, who, you know, has like two, two major scenes, but the second one um, where he's talking about, you know, his, he's talking about his son who committed suicide um, at the age of 33. That one, 
that one broke me. Um, yeah, I don't even think that was a real detail of him. I think that was just part of the script, and like he he still sell sold it. Sold oh it. yeah, yeah, sold it. Um, yeah, this was a this was a movie, man. This was a this is a very immersive movie. I should say. I love immersion in movies. Essentially, that's I think the highest. Um, status a movie can be is like if you just forget that you're watching and you feel like you're just there and this movie made me feel like i was there um largely because everything just felt so authentic to me yeah, how yeah. francis mcdormand interacts with these people um it gets into the nitty-gritty essentially about um people say that this movie um endorses poverty which i know it really doesn't it just shows no. why it shows why people embrace this lifestyle why people what people get from it basically it's like and in the context of like what was going on at the time you know this is just people trying to find whatever solace they could get uh, like what a meaning they can derive from just being a drifter and whatnot and i, I think that that comment and that perspective completely misses the point yeah because look i i have felt this this uh this kind of like i've i've felt this like imperative myself where where i just want to be like alone and like go on with my life and leave society behind because it's just so much of a rat race and it's so much of like you know it 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 feels like the like the bob wells guy said it feels unsustainable as a lifestyle to to keep on living your life according to the almighty dollar and just to keep you know, it, it just, so for me, this movie really resonated because I'm like, I'm one of those people where if I had no obligations in my life and, and I didn't have this podcast and I didn't have the website, I would probably be one of those people who just travels all over the place and just doesn't care where, where I end up because it, there's a certain, like, I don't know if I want to call it romantic notion of like, just leaving behind all of your, you know, everything that you were. And just going on a journey of like self-discovery and finding out what you're really made of. And for me, that's always been a big pull. And this movie just kind of like it, it showed exactly why someone would would choose that life instead of choosing the easier way of just like, you know, just settling down somewhere. I feel, yeah, I, I feel like to say that to say that it endorses poverty is just completely missing the point and just completely like not not relevant at all in my opinion because i i think that the re there's always a reason why people are doing things like this to upend your life and to just give up everything that you once were is something where you know it, it takes a lot of thought on on behalf of the person like you have to really want to do it if you're gonna do it you don't just choose it out of like out of like well i'm just gonna you know sit down and not do anything it's not laziness it's not that it's it's like you're trying to discover something about yourself and you're trying to deal with perhaps like like i felt like this was a meditation on grief really Certainly. and loss and how you deal with that and yeah. how you move on from that and what he says at the end is there's no hard goodbye there's always i'll see you somewhere down the road and that's to me what you know what everybody's looking for everybody's trying to find some kind of like you said solace in this life and everybody's trying to find meaning and Perhaps you can't find it within the system of you get up, you go to work, and then you come home and you go to sleep. Yeah. I, I, I think a, a problem I'm noticing with, with audiences recently is they're, 
they're um, conflating depiction with endorsement. Yes. Um, exactly. And with this, with this film, and it's one of the reasons why I love it so much is because Chloe Zhao isn't isn't endorsing poverty so much no. as no. She, she's just kind of she's just sort of like she's basically just capturing like a snapshot of like a day in the life of mm-hmm. these uh these van dwellers um and through Francis McDormand's character like we we get to we get to go on a journey with her mm-hmm. um like meeting all all these different people and she and she gets to like it 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 kind of it kind of feels episodic but not but in a way that still feels engaging mm-hmm. like and that and that's just kind of the power of uh, McDormand's performance because uh she's one of those actresses who pretty like is is open to doing anything that the film asks of her. I like I I just thought that she fit she fit into this world perfectly. Yeah. And she and she had like like she had such great chemistry with everyone yeah that she encountered. Yeah, like she she felt like someone you've actually met in real life. Exactly. And you know, she's a recognizable actress too, Frances McDormand. Yeah. Oh yeah, everybody knows her. Yeah. But it's it, she just she really just embodied this character and and it feels as authentic as as the real people who are, you know, nomadic people and, and van dwellers, as they say. And like, yeah, it just it, it felt to me. That's the thing that I would that's the word I would use to describe this movie is it felt authentic. I mean, she's not. And yeah, I, I just I feel like it's not endorsing poverty at all because she shows you the hardships. She shows you like what they're missing on this road. And a lot of it is companionship, you know, to a degree. I mean, there, there are moments where she's utterly alone and cold. Yeah. And, and basically, you know, like she says, she's houseless, you know? Yeah. And she doesn't make a distinction. She makes a distinction between houseless and homeless. homeless. Like it's still, it's still her home because all of what remains of her husband is still in there. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it also shows this even the unsanitary, the less glamorous aspects, like yeah. using a bucket for a toilet example. Yep. For example. And 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 also we also see how um her relationship with her sister is tested. How exactly they used she used to live and then she just hit the road. Like she never really like even the, even when she had the perfect escape, which was her sister's house, like she never like she never really reached out to her or anything. And yeah, they're there are numerous occasions where she could have gotten out of the life. You know, she could have found a place to settle and, uh, and she chose not to. Yeah. And her sister said it basically took that lifestyle took her away from her. Yeah. And so, and later, uh, David Strathairn, like he, um, uh, I think his uh, daughter-in-law has a baby and um, he goes to live in with her and, and, she, and then Fern, Francis McDormand's character, she goes to visit them essentially. Um, it kind of reflects, you know, what, the kind of life that she never got to have because she and Bo, her husband, never had kids. Like there's that one part where she's holding the baby and like and, like she briefly becomes a mom essentially. So there is a sense of tragedy that you know that yeah. life just never happened to her. Yeah, I think I think this movie actually brings up such an interesting sort of you know a, a topic to discuss because it's like I I feel like for me personally I I do feel that that impulse to like to want to just leave everything behind and i don't know what it is in me that that has that but but 
I know that I've considered it. And I know that at some point in my life, I probably will do something like that to a degree. I, I, think, it's, I think it's something that we all, like, we all kind of fantasize about, but only, but only like, on, only really like a handful of people actually do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> actually follow through and yeah. commit to this sort of lifestyle. So to, to, cut, to, to see, like, to see their stories um, play out is pretty fascinating and very, very eye-opening. Eventually, I'll go back and kind of fill out the rest of, um, of Zhao's uh, filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, but so far, I think, I think she does a wonderful job of, like, pretty much under, understanding the human condition inside and out. And it's it's uh, it definitely makes me very excited to see her work in the Eternals. Oh hell yes! Yeah, yeah. guys, did you also notice uh, that one brief bit where Fern is walking around that small town and she walks past that movie theater and the Avengers is on the yes, marquee? Yes, I saw that. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Um, so fun. So fun fact about about this movie. This this was shot like pretty much in between like in between um, pre-production of the Eternals. So to see that, to see that Avengers Easter egg, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that was just a nice, a nice uh, wink to the audience. Yeah. Very cool. It's kind of like how David Lowry uh, made a, a ghost story right after, like with the money he got from Pete's drag. Yep. And the Pete's drag remake. It is. I always love it when a director is able to make like, Sort of, I'm really excited to see what how she makes Eternals look um, compared to the other Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, keep talking. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if um, if that uh, cinematographer is also working on Eternals. Okay, so like I said, uh, Nomad. Like, I I've I've always had moments where I I where that lifestyle, like actually just going off the grid, is actually kind of enticing in a way but you know it's only briefly like i would maybe want to go like a few hours at most like you know sometimes i go out into my local park or whatever like there's mm-hmm. this lake nearby my house that i sometimes frequent you know That's just nice. to get away from it all but what's sad is it's only like an hour okay and so it is yeah i, I do kind of wish that i had um the stomach to kind of go with that lifestyle I want to just travel like that's what I want to do is just travel yeah I haven't I haven't left Michigan like since I was 10 and I'm 28 now oh wow I just I just I feel so cooped up sometimes you know I just and I've been living in the same house for like almost 20 years I feel you man that's like yeah that I understand that because you feel like you're in a rut that that was me in Hawaii Trust me, as 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 a twenty eight year old still still living at home, I um I I I understand that like that kind of stuck in a rut feeling. Even yeah. even though you know I've I've been on my fair share of vacations, mostly with the family, but to 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 just like kind of get away from it all and just you know stop and smell the roses. Um, mm-hmm. It it sound it sounds like something that one once. Once this pandemic is over, um, it it sound it sounds like something I think we all could use. Hayden, is there something you want to add? Um, I don't think so. I just really this was um I thought like it was a weird really I um I don't know how to say it, but like it was a really zen kind of movie in a way. 
Yeah. It really like entranced me and I was just invested. It's a very slow burn movie, but like in a way that I felt like completely invested in what was going on and what was happening to um, Francis McDormand's character. Um, Yeah, this was this was a very, very well done film. I can't really uh, think of much else to say besides that, but Um. I want to I want to give a shout out to uh, the cinematographer Joshua James Richards. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, he is not he is not working on um, the Eternals, but he's worked on all of um, all of Zhao's other films, like The Writer, Songs My Brothers Taught Me, and like a couple other short films. But man, he should definitely get nominated for this one. Uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, but let's mention oh, the. Com- Composer to Lodovico Ignoti. Oh yes, yes. Composer. I love the score to this film. It's so. I'm a sucker for piano music. So good. And this this was just this was pleasing to the ears. I think. Yeah, like un- unfortunately, the from from what I've heard, the the score because 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 most of it was not written um, originally for the film. Um, apparently, it's not eligible for for awards season but you know mm-hmm. like the mu- like the music the music they use in this um from like from like the piano to a lot of the diegetic stuff like you know with like perf- like performances like that like that one um like that that one the like the one the bar the like yeah um the yeah. guitarist who's like leading the uh, uh square dancing yeah, um, yeah. they like mo- like mo- moments like that i thought were were really nice it's it's kind of, it's kind of refreshing to see a like a very authentic and very rustic um americana um like that sort of aesthetic in a like in a more modern film like this mm-hmm. yeah hmm. yeah this was yeah. uh i i think all the movies we picked this this time were were really good like all the movies that you picked jacob were excellent yeah choices. thanks um i thought this would be a good catch-up um list yeah, this would be a yeah. good um. Our, our next one though, it's may not maybe a little more sporadic <laughs> in terms of quality and such. Like, like, I can't guarantee like any of the other movies we'll talk about will be as um. Yeah, they'll be as equally as good as these movies. Well, there's none <laughs> of them are as bad as the little things. I think we're okay. Yeah, or earwig. Oh, uh, Cam and I have had words to say. Um about yes. that on and that that episode is forthcoming guys i'm so sorry i'm late with it but it, it's yeah. forthcoming for sure well i yeah. was unlucky enough to uh watch uh, music oh yeah since since you're here do you want to uh oh geez i let's save that for another time <laughs> <laughs> i could go on or, for hours. No, here's an idea we can also never talk about it <laughs> there's always that option <laughs> We could just not draw attention to it. No, but no, seriously, Hayden, right. I think we we definitely want to hear your thoughts on that for sure. I have so much to say. If 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 you if you yeah. could boil it down in, in one sentence, um, how would you describe music? <laughs> I want to say for the record that it is one bad because it's offensive, but two, it's also bad because it's really bad. So there are multitudes here going on that I have that just astounded me in its pure ineptitude. But yeah, let's yeah, let's let's hope um, this 
Like, do you think you would you guys say that you you hope that Sia's career is just finished because of this? I honestly just don't care anymore. I just don't want to think about this after I if I inevitably rant about this on another episode then I want to completely forget that I ever watched it and like just forget Sia's name ever like for the rest of my life hopefully from 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 the outside looking in this seemed this kind of feels like a movie it feel it it feels like it was made on a dare like like some like someone someone made an offhand remark like oh if you if you try to do a movie like this it'll end your career <laughs> and she said challenge accepted yeah on a positive note i'm just going to bring up that i love um barb and star go to vista del mar <laughs> um, Ooh. which yeah. is so wonderfully goofy and it, you don't like really see movies that like unapologetically silly anymore. So it's like 20 bucks to rent, but one scene alone honestly just made that movie worth it. And if I had the money, I would keep renting it genuinely. We should keep, we should talk about it in the next one. Yeah. Like just it's, it's not for everybody, but I, I am in love with this silly, unapologetically goofy movie with possibly one of jamie dornan's best performances ever i i've i've heard that he that he's a scene stealer he in so many ways jacob do you have any other do you have any other uh recommendations as we're kind of winding down any movie that has ever been made except for music (laughs) nice there there's there's one movie that i kind of want to shout out that was um that was actually filmed in my home in my hometown of uh, Utica, New York. That I just want to shout out my uh, all of my local friends and family should check that out when it um, when it goes on demand. Kiona, do you have any uh, any uh, recommendations before we head out of here? Uh, well, right now I'm just kind of uh, I've been playing a lot of games, so I've been my time has been spent doing that. But um, I'm re- I'm watching for the first time, kind of going through Dexter. Ooh, so nice. that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's been a really good show, actually. I think just episode just, five just right preparing now. you for the final season. Don't expect much. <laughs> Understood. Okay, I'm just warning you. It's, okay, that's fair. It's it that's doesn't good. end on a great note. <laughs> okay. Um. Also watching Shameless, which is another really good show. Uh, very dark humor, which I love. And then uh, if everybody has a chance, go watch that History of Swear Words show on Netflix. Oh, I've heard of that. I've I've been I've been meaning to get into that. Um, I watched a few episodes. It's very it's very amusing. Yes, it's great. I fucking love it. It's good shit. All right. So uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that's about it right now. Um, let's let's go through a little bit like like Jacob. Um, Give us a few teases as to what takes the next episode of Home Theater. What do you well, um, we'll talk about um, Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. We'll, oh, here's a documentary that will interest you, Kiona. It's The Last Blockbuster. Yes, yes. I'm very interested in that. I, I actually, uh, you know, you guys, okay, here's the thing. I I was a, a Kickstarter backer for that, so... Um, 
So I'm not really going to give my opinion as to whether it's good or not. But what I will say is that some of the, some of the uh, rewards for backing it actually made me kind of chuckle because they're like, here's a blockbuster crew shirt. And I'm just like, yeah, live that life. But, uh, you know, it was, yeah, it's, it's cool for people that I think they, I think I actually got one of the membership cards, which is hilarious to me. Like it actually works at that blockbuster location. If I ever go there, we also be but talking yeah, about cool. um, coming to America. Very I am uh, we'll... so looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice. Coming to America. Just let me um, bring up a little um, St. Maud. Um, St. Maud. Okay. Maud, uh, the, uh, Minority, another um, best picture uh, Oscar contender. Okay. By, by the way, the film that I was um, referring to is um, called As Long As We Both Shall Live. And it was it was filmed right here in Utica, New York. So for all oh, for all nice. for all of my local friends and families, you guys should definitely check that out next weekend. Very, very cool. All right. I'll note cool. I'll I'll note that in the oh. uh, the show notes for you, Mike. And Mike, we'll uh, why don't you give about, us um, Oh go ahead, Jacob. Sorry. Right. Go ahead. I will also um, be talking about uh, Tom and Jerry. Also, that also promising looking Tom and Jerry movie. Hey, it's probably going to be better than the last Tom and Jerry movie. Well, yeah. Oh, God hopes. So. Yeah, why? Speak- because they don't talk. Um, <laughs> okay, so speaking of that, for the next episode of Renegade Animation, Cam and I will be talking about a like a pe- like a pair of two really like surprisingly amazing Tom and Jerry shorts from the same team that have, that have been working on Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max. Um, we'll be talking about that, the Tom and Jerry movie, plus season two of Close Enough. And what else? Hmm. Yeah, it's Close, close Enough. There's, um, there's a new anime on Netflix called um, High Rise Invasion. And Interesting. Um, if there's one other thing, I'll I'll just add it to show notes later. But but those are the, those are the thing those are the project. Oh, Kid Cosmic, another another Netflix series from um, Powerpuff Girls creator uh, Craig McCracken. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, Cam, yeah, Cam and I are finally getting to talk about that. Um, that was released earlier in the month, but because nice. we were busy with the anime vortex, that. <sighs> Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about it yet, but I am super excited to finally check that one out. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I might try and join you guys for that one if I can um, try to get everything watched in time. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll give it a shot and see if we can see if we can uh, maybe get on animation together. That would be cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, that'll do it for this installment of Renegade Home Theater. Before we head out of here, um, Hayden, where can everyone find you online? I can be found on Twitter at the Hayden Wilder and on Instagram at Hayden Wilder. And Jacob? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Um, my name is Jacob Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. And I'm also part of the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. And Kiona, where can everyone find you? Okay, I'm going to start off with that Facebook group. It's at facebook.com slash group slash RPC42. Renegadepopculture.com for all of your RPC needs. We got us some show notes. We got us some podcasts. We got us some articles. Uh, definitely check that out. Guys, add me on Steam, Neoplasmic24. Also Instagram, same thing, Neoplasmic24. On uh, Twitter and Facebook, our official feeds are at Ren, R-E-N, Pop Culture. So you guys can find us over there. 
uh, that's pretty much my main Twitter now. I don't really use my personal Twitter anymore. Just use the, the Renegade Pop Culture one. So, And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. Don't forget, you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen. Pandora. And as we mentioned earlier, check out renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this installment of Renegade Home Theater. We will catch you guys later. Peace out. Peace. See ya.